Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. Welcome back to Ag Credit Set It. I'm Brenna Finnegan, and I'm all the way out here in Van Wert here with Phil Young today for our new uh, a tax episode. Yeah. Hey guys, welcome back. This is a this is a fun topic. I, I'm kind of a nerd, so I kind of like talking taxes. I don't know about you, Brenna, but we do numbers. So I mean, it's kind of hard not to be like, "What does this mean? What does yeah. that mean?" Kind yep. of thing. So it's a good episode. Yeah, looking forward to you guys hearing it and uh, hopefully learning something. So as we near year end, obviously we think about us as being a financial business. We always have to bring up the importance of year end financials and planning. So today we're here with John Stoller, a certified public accountant, to talk about the importance of meeting with your tax accountant at the end of the year and to walk us through some great tax questions. Welcome, John. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. Why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of background on you, like schooling, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, thank you, uh, Brenna. So uh, my name is John Stoller, and I'm here from Vanmore County. I went to college at Ohio State University. I was down there for four years, and then upon graduating, came back and started working for the same firm that I'm with now. I learned mostly from uh, working directly with my father, uh, Rod Stoller, who still works part-time, though he's transitioning out. He enjoys going to Florida. So uh-huh. he's, uh, yeah. he's in that stage of life, but uh, he's there to, <laughs> there to give advice when I need help, so I appreciate that. Um, we really do enjoy uh, working with farmers and the planning associated with that. There's a lot of um, options in the tax code that t- farmers can take advantage of. But in all things, if you don't plan for it and the year ends, you lose your ability to do things. Mm-hmm. So, There's only a big enough window and it's all got to fit within it, right? And when mm-hmm. December 31st clicks, um, I do know that while some people might want to hold checks, you do run a risk yep. when you do that. So it, it's best It's best to get it done before the year's over. Yeah, it can't. there's no do-over button you can push. Well, I always yeah. wondered about the date. Like, you know, you write a check December 29th or whatever it might be, and they don't cash it on their books as income or whatever till after the new year. But do I count that expense still that year? You know, sometimes so, it's like timing on everything. It's, you know, it's just like farmers... You know, January 2nd, they're firing up the trucks and <laughs> hauling grain in so that they can get some cash for the new year, you know? Mm-hmm. So so if a farmer wants to have a deduction, he needs to write the check, and it needs to be put in the mail by December 31st. So you can't write a check, put it in your bottom desk drawer, hold on to it until January, until after you've sold your January grain, and then try to do it. You need to have written the check and put it in the mail so that it's uh, okay. out of your control. Gotcha. Okay. Good to know. That is good to know. Yeah. We have to take some pictures of some envelopes then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, well, let's go ahead and dive into some additional questions. Um, obviously, uh, starting out in, in wanting to know with a tax accountant, why is it important for farmers to meet with their tax accountant at or before year end? This is the opportunity to change things. So, The first step is that the farmer needs to be organized. The farmer needs to know what kind of income they have and what kind of expenses they've had. Primarily, their income would have come earlier in the year. In January, 
of 22 in our case now. Mm -hmm. And then they've had their expenses that they've been paying throughout the year. So first, how much income do you have and what expenses do you have? What projected profit do you think you'll have? Now, in years past, farmers would be able to go and buy any equipment they wanted. Equipment's in short supply now. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that is a harder tool to use if you're trying to bring down taxable income. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, those last-minute guys that call in and say, hey, I need to go buy this because mm-hmm. my tax guy says I need to go spend some money in order to reduce my obligation. Mm-hmm. It always gets interesting at the year end. <laughs> yeah, I guess what other, I mean, other well, than equipment, the, yeah, what, what other, yeah. Let's, let's talk about equipment. Yeah. The heart-to-heart I like to have with farmers, though, is when you go buy equipment, is it a wise economic choice? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always the aspect of not wanting to pay tax. I don't want to pay tax either. Yeah. I mean, I think we all are American in that regard. We yeah, right. benefits, <laughs> yeah. But we don't want to pay tax. Yeah. But you have to pay for it. Yep. And so just to go spend the money just to spend the money isn't always wise. Mm-hmm. We also know that if you're highly leveraged and you don't have rates locked in, it's going to get harder. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's it's not just tax that we look at. Or if, if I sit down with someone and I try to put myself, if I was in your shoes, what would I be thinking? Mm-hmm. And what are all the different aspects to consider? Yeah. Sometimes profit is good. With profit, you have uh, the ability to pay down debt, long-term debt. Correct. Yeah. Which, in the end, we, we all want to add assets to our balance sheet and reduce our debt and increase our income. But that takes a long-term goal, a mm-hmm. long-term objective. You've got to play the long game. You can't just worry about what my, what my tax is going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other side of that too is we're we're kind of entering you know a, a high inflation, high cost environment. So just just building working capital, you know, um, taking I guess that that punch in the gut and, and paying taxes and not buying something and just kind of keeping the cash and building working capital is also a good decision. Too. Like you said, is it a good investment in their farm? Um, is it a wise choice to buy that piece just to avoid? a little bit more of a tax expense versus, you know, kind of building that balance sheet a little bit, you know, so. I've always thought about it. It's like a one-time payment type thing. Like make that payment to the government instead of having something continuously every year or for the next five years or seven years, whatever it might be for that loan. And to, it, I mean, you got to weigh it out. Like is that one-time payment worth? Right. Yeah. Or does it, which one does it outweigh, like the seven years or, or whatever it might be? So, mm-hmm. I mean, you kind of start to wonder. Now, you mentioned in there coming organized. Now, how many guys, I'm not going to say how many guys come up and say, well, here's my shoebox full of stuff, but organization is probably one of the, I would say, the least priority type thing that a farmer, I don't want to, I don't want to stereotype it, but like that they, think about, you know, like, hey, I got all this stuff over here. And some are very, very good at it. Some are, you know, are not and probably need somebody to do it. So going through with organization, is it just, I mean, what would you like to see when somebody walks into your office? It doesn't have to be anything complicated. Hmm. At the end of the day, they need to know what kind of income they have, what their grain sales were, what government payments were, crop insurance proceeds, a lot of different types of income. And then they need to have an idea of what they spent money on. 
Now, one trick when they're estimating how much they spent on, if they've paid ag credit principal payments, that's not deductible. Mm -hmm. It's only the interest. Yep. So there, there might be some cash outflow items. They're thinking, wow, I just made this $100,000 payment to the bank, but only 10000 of it was interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there, there's a few adjustments that you have to make when you're estimating what you think your taxable profit's going to be. So knowing the difference, I mean, breaking out all your payments, you're making a column of principal interest and all your other lovely farm expenses that people have. What I call it is you, you need to understand the game that you're playing. Yeah. And I think once, from, from my experience, it usually takes about once or twice to get hit really hard, and then most people learn. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they and they will have a, a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I tell my guys, you're always welcome to call me. But if you have an idea where you're at, that's fine. I'm not going to bug you about it. But just be aware of where you're at and what you have coming. We are, I'm anticipating a coming tax season where there's going to be some big balances owed. Prices are high. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yields have been good. And I'm thankful for that. Inputs have gone up. But it's also been hard to get inputs, mm -hmm. and it's also been hard to find equipment. Yes. So it will it will be interesting to see. But mm -hmm. I tell my clients, I hope you have to pay a lot of tax for the right reason. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good thing. If, yeah. if, if the choice is being successful, making money and paying tax versus always having a loss and not paying tax. Yeah. I'll sign up for that burden. Yeah, quote unquote burden. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, we've seen uh, in the last few years, uh, just with different administrations that have come through, some tax law changes. Is there anything kind of, I guess, that uh, from a farmer perspective or, or really anything you think we should, should share with everyone? Are there any new things with taxes, uh, tax brackets, um, anything like that? So this coming year, most of the rules we've had are carrying forward. Uh, nothing has happened in Congress to change that, but there are certain things that are expiring or changing. Bonus depreciation is going to become more limited based on a schedule that was put in place back with the tax jobs cutbacks that Trump and his organization okay. uh, uh, put into place. Okay. There's an acronym for it. Okay. You know, the people in Congress love their they big, do, their big <laughs> fancy acronyms for <laughs> stuff. Do. And another aspect that could hurt if, if if a business is highly leveraged and they're paying a lot of interest expense, there are going to be some limits on how much interest you can deduct. Now, in the past, when it, it was a certain percentage of your income, only a certain amount could be deducted. In the past, though, you could add back depreciation. So let's say someone had a $100,000 profit, but they had $500,000 of depreciation, you take the hundred thousand, add the five hundred thousand of depreciation. That gives you six hundred thousand. Then you would take the percentage. I think it was thirty percent times the six hundred thousand, mm -hmm. and that would determine whether it was a, a limit or not. The depreciation kind of made it a moot point, gotcha. but that depreciation add back goes away. So it's solely based on revenue now. So or solely the, based on the percentages based on the revenue on the net income. Yeah, or net income. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So this is going to be a factor this year that we didn't have before. Okay. So major limitations then for some, I would assume. Depending on how leveraged yeah. 
the, the, the business is and how low the income is in relation to its interest. Now, the interest wouldn't be lost, but you just couldn't deduct it in that year. It carries forward okay. to, to a future year when that might be there. Gotcha. Okay. Now, the other tools that farmers have, I mean, crop insurance can be deferred, but I don't anticipate many people having claims for crop insurance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's crop insurance based on yield differences, not price differences. Okay. Is that so that's new or, or, or that you can defer that? Or that's, I was going say that's, that's been the case, right? That's been the yeah, case. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that working with an accountant is an investment. It's not cheap. Uh, but the rules are so complicated. I just don't see how if you are in this on a regular basis that you'd have a fighting chance of knowing what's out there and what to do. I've seen people call me up and they want to know how much it would cost. And I tell them and they don't want to pay that. And that's fine. Everyone has their choice. It's, it's not anything that I'm upset about or worried. But if anything, I feel bad for them because they will end up paying more tax than they have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the end of the day, they're, they're leaving money on the table. And I guess the other, uh, the other thing is you can write off your expense, right? They can, ex they can write off the accounting expense, right? Uh, Absolutely. Right. So that's how you sell it. Right? This is another write-off. Yeah. You can write off my services <laughs> on your taxes. To me, I've always figured it's worth every penny yeah, just right. to not yeah. ever have to worry about that it was done wrong on my part, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, back in the day when you only had one W2 and you just turned it in and, Times have changed with all of that stuff, and now having, you know, your own farm and things like that, and the, like what you're saying, like they, they don't know exactly what they need to put into what category or how to classify anything to even use it as an advantage for them. So to me, it's worth every penny. Yeah, it's the old saying: you don't know what you don't know, and, and so you, you, you know, you don't know if you're leaving money on the table. You'll never know that unless you go chat with you know someone like John. So I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's a wise choice and. You guys, you know, it's, you're, they're getting done and they're getting done right. So You also want to make sure you work with someone who's had experience with agriculture. The tax laws associated with agriculture are unique, and there are different provisions in there that that if someone is not familiar with, they, they might not know, and they might not be able to give the advice. Another thought I had is uh, I, I get this I get asked this quite a bit and um, we have a lot of guys that that farm just under their individual names you know um, and then there's also uh, it seems like there's a increase in the amount of people that are forming operating entities and land holding companies and whether that's an LLC or a corporation but from your perspective is there any uh, tax benefits to forming those um, I know there's uh, transition planning that goes into that as well but from your perspective is there tax benefits to doing that. I'm still waiting for the day when I'm at a social event and someone yeah. comes and asks about the differences in operating entities. Yeah. It still hasn't happened. <laughs> <laughs> there are differences, uh, and there's different advantages and disadvantages to the different types. The advantage of a Schedule F, Schedule F sole proprietor, is that it's, it's simpler. Yeah. It's easier to follow, easier to understand. If you don't like paperwork, that might be better for you. There are different options with a Schedule F that you can do to try to reduce self-employment tax. Usually what people don't like about Schedule Fs is if a farmer makes 100000 on a Schedule F, you pay the income tax on that, and then you pay self-employment tax. Self-employment tax is another 15% on top of your income tax rate. So even if you're 
overall rate might be in the 12% bracket, then you add the 15% on top of it. Mm, okay. And and you're paying, when they pay their bill on their 1040, most of that bill is self-employment tax. Now, if they want to draw Social Security someday, they have to pay self-employment tax to get Social Security. So, Gotcha. Okay. It's a double-edged sword. Yeah, right. Yeah. You, you pick your poison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> However, that, that self-employment, that is the biggest one. Um, if, if a farmer has a Schedule F they, and their spouse owns ground, the farmer could pay rent to their spouse. Okay. And the spouse has that income as Schedule E, which is subject to income tax, but not subject to self-employment tax. So there's okay. different strategies depending on the entity you can follow to try to do that. Now there's certain paperwork and procedures you need to do. Again, you have to play the game. Mm-hmm. You can't just do what you want to do. There's probably some wheels turning and some heads as people yeah. are listening to this. Yeah. Got to color within the lines. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes you're on this coloring page, you flip it over and switch to an LLC. When you go to an LLC, then there's a whole new lines to look at. LLCs can be treated three different ways. There's no tax LLC form out there. LLCs can be treated as Schedule Fs. LLCs can be treated as S corporations. LLCs can be treated as C corporations. So what's the difference between those? There's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So Schedule F is on the 1040. The income there is subject to SE tax. It's the simplest form. LLC, taxed as an S-corporation, has to file a separate tax return. So then it has its own S-corp tax return, which then they'll need to give to the bank, Mm -hmm. along with then their personals. Now you have two different tax returns. The primary benefit of an S-corporation is the farmer becomes an employee of that S-corporation. The farmer's paid a wage. That wage is subject to SE tax. However, any profit from the S corporation is not subject to SE tax. Okay. So you take the 100,000 that was on a Schedule F, the full 100,000 was subject to the 15% SE charge. The farmer switches to an S corp, pays himself a wage of 50,000, he pays SE tax on 50,000, he'll still receive credit on Social Security for earnings up to 50000 but then he's not paying SE tax on the remaining 50000 So then he can save 7500 in tax each year. Okay. Once again, wheels are turning. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's, there, there are complexities and nuances kind of to all of those and certain things you want to do and not want to do yep. to not draw attention to yourself. The saying that pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered, pig out but don't be a hog. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You don't want to be noticed. Uh, Those who really are aggressive and push the limit and don't have a justification for it have a dramatically higher chance of being selected for audit. Gotcha. Okay. So back to the C-Corp. C-Corps are different. They are not a pass-through entity. S-Corp, whatever profit it makes, passes through to the individual. C-Corp has its own tax return. It has to pay its own tax. C-Corps have a tax rate of 21%. Then C-Corps can use commodity wages. They can pay health insurance benefits for the employees and their families. C-Corps can even get a deduction for grocery bills. If the employee of the corporation is hired to make 
food for the employees of the corporation. There's a lot of taxable benefits C-Corps can do, but they're the most complicated. So then you have to, when it comes to paperwork, be willing to have minutes, to have resolutions, to have things documented, to have the employment agreement between the employees of the C-Corp. And, and a lot of times it's the same people, right? Yeah. It's the, the farmer's yep. family. Mm-hmm. But, but they have to put on different hats. I got my C-Corp hat on. I've got my employee of a C-Corp hat on. I'm now the renter who owns the land that the C-Corp is paying yep. cash rent to. There's a yep. whole lot of uh, shoeboxes on a counter that they're keeping track of yep. all this stuff. You're in. the shareholder of the yep. corporate. Yep. Yep. I just keep thinking of operating agreements going yep. through my head and how it's all structured and mm-hmm. what label you give yourself as a owner, employee, all that. So, so you try to find ways to maybe reduce self-employment tax or to try to get deductions that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get, depending on the choice of the entity you form. But then you weigh that against how much complexity do I want? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets I can show the benefits that you could have to someone, but if they hate paperwork and it causes them headache and worry then it might not be worth it yeah. to that individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and, when and you I, hire a secretary to handle go, yeah. it for you. you. Have a bookkeeper <laughs> that does that, yeah. yeah. Before you had mentioned something about the depreciation, um, I know we get I get this question as a lot, is how is it even calculated in the first place? So I know I have to Google it every time and figure out. <laughs> I'm probably still never right, but it still always gets asked. So explain what is the depreciation and how does somebody calculate it? Well, my dirty little secret is that we have tax software that calculates it for us. (laughs) (laughs) Smart move. (laughs) The basic concept of depreciation is you have to, if you are going to pay $100,000 for a piece of equipment, 200, 300, 400, whatever it's going to be, whatever you pay for it, you get a tax deduction over time. Depending on the type of equipment, there are different lives or different periods to which that deduction is spread over. There's a traditional straight line where it's basically over seven years, you take the cost, divide it by seven, and it spreads out. Except for the first year is a half year, you have six normal years, and then a half year on the back end. Okay. Didn't know that. Good info. Then there are accelerated, it's called Makers, Modified Accelerated Recovery System. And Makers is a, is a faster one where it, it, you get more on the front end and less on the back end, but it's mm-hmm. still spread over those, those five-year, seven-year, 15-year, 20-year period, depending on, on the asset that you have. Then there's Section 179 or bonus depreciation. And those are just you take it up front. So bonus is all or nothing. You just you have a, a purchase and you just you get the deduction up front and that's it. That's done. That's great if you paid cash for something. Where there's danger in bonus depreciation if someone's borrowing. They take the deduction up front and then they have to pay for it over the next five years. So you get the tax deduction in year one, but you haven't paid the bank for it. Then when you pay the bank in years two, three, four, five, six, there's no tax deduction because you got it back in year one. 
So it's paying attention really as to how you're mapping it all out. Then there's section 179. Mm -hmm. Section 179 is you're allowed to pick how much you want to depreciate in the first year. You buy an asset for 100,000, you look at your tax planning and say, I, I want 30,000 more of deductions, but no more. You can use section 179 to put your income where you want it. Hmm. And then the rest gets spread over time. So that election to take what you want is in the first year only, not in future years. Is it divided evenly after that then? Yeah, then whatever's spread over yep. the <clears throat> Then you use your depreciation methods to calculate it out. Gotcha, okay. So I know uh, a lot of the uh, farmers that I work with want to know, well, how much is left in their depreciation bank? You mm-hmm. know, Because what you haven't depreciated then in a future year, that's a tax deduction that you don't have to pay anything for. Yep. So I think of um, a product that we have is a lease. So some people put up, use a lease to put up a barn or well, yeah, that's the main thing I think yeah, of a piece yeah. of equipment. What not? Sometimes, yep. What is the advantage of a lease, and how does that pertain to the depreciation factor? So a lease kind of eliminates the whole depreciation issue because you get the deduction as you pay for it. So if you, if you lease something and it's $10,000 a year over five years, you just get the deduction as you pay for it. Mm-hmm. The question is, economically, does it make sense to do one or the other? Like, does it cost more to do the lease or is it neutral? You, you just need to run the numbers. Mm-hmm. Once again, it's mapping out your payments along with everything else that you have going on. Yep. One of the other questions I get quite a bit, and we just deal with because of selling stuff, is, is capital gains. And so that's, you know, obviously you're trying to always dodge the capital gains bullet. <laughs> um, uh, can you kind of walk us through, we, we have a lot of younger younger listeners, so what is capital gains? You know, obviously tax basis, you know, how, how, to, how can you, what are tools you can use to avoid it and all that good stuff? So with capital gains, what's important is know the character of the asset that's being sold. So a tractor that you purchased and you've written completely off, purchased for 100000 you wrote off 100000 you have a tax basis of zero. You then trade that in, and they give you 75000 for the trade-in value. You have to show that as gain of 75000 on that. That is not eligible for capital gain rates because you already depreciated the original purchase at ordinary rates. So that's called depreciation recapture. And I know we're starting to wade into the oh, thick yeah. of, of tax terminology here, and the swamp is sucking us down. But in the thick of it. It, yeah. it's, it's the reality of, of it. So depre- depreciation recapture is, is something that, that gives tax accountants and taxpayers nightmares because you think you're going to get this great tax treatment, but you don't. Mm. So a guy that, say this year, with used equipment prices being higher and somebody turning around and selling a piece that they bought five years ago, whatever it may be, and getting more, that all comes into play with all of that then. So this year might be one year that more of that comes up, I would assume. I anticipate more of that. Now, let's say someone bought the tractor for 100000 depreciated it off. It's now worth zero for tax purposes. They resell it for one twenty. The first 100000 is subject to ordinary rates because of depreciation recapture, but then anything over and above the original purchase price would get capital gain treatment. Interesting. It's now, nice to get that check, but you have to keep that in mind too. Yep. <laughs> now, the land. You sell land. 
land would get capital gain treatment with one caveat. If there's tiling in the land that we wrote off, Mm. that would be subject to depreciation recapture. And you can't have an installment sale on the tiling portion. So installment sales where you spread out the the gain over time. As you Mm -hmm. say, I want to sell this. I'm going to have this huge gain. I only want to report the tax when I get the money in, in chunks. And that's a great tool to have. You can do that on the land portion, but the tiling aspect of that, you have to pay the tax on the tile portion of the sale in the first year, whether or not you have received the cash. So that is also some hard conversations that I've had with people. Mm -hmm. And is that all based on the dollar amount you put into it in the first place? Yeah. So let's say in something we do, especially here in Van Wert and Paulding County, when you purchase land, we always try to put a value on for the tile because it's not just the land you have, but it's also the tile. So let's say it's 10,000 an acre. Let's say 10% is assigned to tiling. So that'd be 1,000 an acre. Well, when that's purchased, we write off the $1,000 an acre. We got the tax deduction. Now you turn around, you resell the land. That $1,000 an acre that was put to the tiling portion, because it was written off completely, will come back as ordinary income recapture. So you get the capital gain on the land portion. You don't get the capital gain on the tile portion. Now, someone dies. Yep, that was going to be my next. (laughs) Yeah. You want to get out of capital gain treatment, you die. (laughs) (laughs) Because then whatever is left gets reset. So senior is farming. He dies. All his assets get reset at the fair market value. So you need to get with someone when there's a death, and you need to get value set on equipment, on land, you know, whatever there is in, in the estate. Because now the heirs, the children, can take that, sell those assets, and not have capital gain because of this step up in basis. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's not quite a, quite a hit. Yep. Okay, you're talking inheritance now. So, Senior is still alive, and he's trying to plan for the future, distributing some of the things or just putting something in somebody else's name in order for those tax. What kind of tax implications come along with that when you do such a thing? If you gift something to someone and you're allowed to, the tax basis of the gifter goes to the person who receives the gift. So if I purchased land at $500 an acre back in 19-whatever, and I gift that to someone, that person gets the tax basis at 500 an acre. So if they sell it, they'll have the capital gain. So you cannot get out of capital gains by using gifting. Oh, shucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that being said, if someone wants to give you something and you don't have to pay for it, you'll still be better off even if you have a capital gain. Yeah, it's not a problem <laughs> unless you go true. to sell it, right? Yeah, it's only an issue if you go to sell it. And that's the other thing, too. Right. If someone's not going to sell it, yeah. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so you're dealing with legacy farms, and, and farming is their passion. Well, then it just becomes another gift, right? You just yeah, right. keep continuing the gift mm-hmm. train. It just It's a snowball effect. And so, yeah, it's, it's really only an issue when you then have that member of the family who doesn't want to be a part of it anymore. Yep. And, and wants to cash cut. it out. Yep. And that's where we come into play. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, w- one of my last questions here, I guess, um, is during tax time as we get into it, we kind of covered a little bit of this, but um, how can a farmer make tax time easier for themselves and, and you? I mean, um, is there stuff? I mean, QuickBooks or, 
you know, what's, what's tools they can help themselves and then help you out? The key is organization. My concern is less with what they use to be organized and that, that they are organized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's not like if someone comes into me and they use QuickBooks or they don't use QuickBooks or they have a ledger that they just let's make sure it's organized and you have a good feel for what your income is and what your expenses are. Mm-hmm. More important than it's right, accurate, you know, yeah, the, the record keeping itself and not the tool, yeah. So. Yeah, it can be a hand ledger. It can be an Excel spreadsheet. That doesn't matter. What matters is they understand what the numbers are, where they're mm-hmm. coming from, and they have a sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that there's something with organization that, I mean, it's worth paying. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's worth paying somebody to sit down and take care of making sure things are in the right categories for yourself. I mean, it's your stuff. You should always double check it yourself anyways. But sometimes that's the hardest part for people is just sitting down and putting things, whether it's writing it down on paper, using a spreadsheet, using QuickBooks, whatever it might be. I think sometimes that's like, to me, that's always been the hardest part for some people is just sitting down and organizing something themselves because a guy would rather be in the tractor seat than at the office desk sorting paperwork, <laughs> I mm. would say. But yeah, just just based on our conversation, I mean, there's there's a lot of complication to what you do and a lot of formulas. So I mean, based on you know, I think it's worth talking to you an accountant. You know, it's a one year thing, right? You only sign, you only have to sign up for it for one year. Do it. Have someone have an accountant do your taxes one year. If you've never had anyone do it, it, it may it may be fruitful for you. Um, I guess if you don't like it, you can keep doing it yourself. But I think once they do it, they'll realize how great it is. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, any other thoughts or questions you have or things you wanted to share about, about taxes or, or, or uh, farming or agriculture? Yeah, I mean, I'm very thankful to everything I've learned from my father and my coworkers. Uh, we're a team. Uh, there's no way one person can ever have a handle on this. And mm-hmm. even doing this for many years, you still try to stay on top of things with seminars and articles and, and different aspects. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a labor, a labor of love and an, an intellectual investment that you have to make in order to serve others, and that's what it comes down to. But we have offices in, in Paulding and in Columbus Grove. In Columbus Grove, the, the CPA there, Todd Meyer, uh, he farms full-time too. So he's a great resource for us to have because he... He actually does this and does the taxes on mm. top of that. So he's just uh, very valuable for us to, to work with. Well, I think it was Benjamin Franklin back in 1789 that said, there's two things that are for certain. That's death, <gasps> death and taxes. So, I was so going to say this. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Super thankful that you were be able to, to join us today. It's a it's a topic that every farmer or every business owner or individual has to deal with. It's taxes. It's it's uh, you got to sit down every year and do it, no matter what. So hopefully you do it, no matter what. Right? Well, a couple couple things I like to tell people. First, we're all obligated to pay our due, but it doesn't mean we need to leave a leave a tip for the government. Mm. And so, if you don't yeah. know the rules, you may be inadvertently leaving them a tip when you don't have to. Mm-hmm. I will never feel bad writing zero on that one if that was the case, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but. Well, good. Well, thanks, John. Thanks for joining us. Um, hopefully you guys will uh, join us for future podcasts. Uh, like and rate us uh, wherever you guys listen to podcasts, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, John. Very good. Thank you, guys. 
Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Said It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.